0: things started clicking a bit more and um, I started thinking more about how we love to focus on reconciliation and not so much on truth. Truth is kind of the part that we know we have to do at the beginning, but we really try and get to reconciliation as soon as we can because that's when everything gets made right. And I want to focus today on truth because I think it is actually super important to reconciliation, and we can't get to reconciliation without embracing truth first. So let's get down to business. Truth. Um, When I think of truth, I think of apologies, this idea of you've done something wrong, or something's not quite right, and you need to tell the truth. Um, I was wrong, speak truth to a situation, that kind of thing. So I found this handy dandy little, I don't know, infographic uh, from Blair Amani, who is an Instagram activist and educator. I love their stuff, would totally recommend uh, you check her out, but she's got this how to apologize guide. And so I'll read it out for you. Number one, take responsibility, accountability is key. Number two, do not center yourself. Sometimes we position ourselves as the victim when we've harmed others. Don't do this. Number three, express that you understand what was harmful, disappointing, or offensive and why. Number four, communicate your intention or plan to do better in the future and how, if possible, you can repair the wrong. So when I first read this, I was reminded of two things. Uh, First off, I remembered why I don't like apologies. And number two, I remembered why we don't like the truth part and truth and reconciliation. When I read this, I realized that there are a lot of bits of myself that start to come up when we have to engage in apologizing and truth telling. There's this part of myself that gets defensive and desperately wants to avoid being wrong or misunderstood. It's kind of panicky, definitely defensive. But for those of us that don't know how to attach words, uh, we could also just call it gross and yucky. Uh, It is a gross and yucky feeling. We could also call it our ego, Um, whatever works for you. It's kind of bleh um, at the end of the day. And so it's no wonder that we avoid truth and apologizing and we want just to mend the relationship, just focus on moving forward and moving on. And as previously mentioned, we really can't get to reconciliation without this base of truth. So that was a deep dive into uncomfortable emotions. Let's go back to the Bible because that's never uncomfortable. That'll just give us the break that we need. So in the Passion Translation, we've got John 12, verse 24, the first verse here. And it says, a single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies, because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat, all because one grain died. And so as I was reading the Passion Translation, there were some footnotes, and I love footnotes. So I was like, let's check this out. The one grain that I've bolded at the end and I have a point there this idea that the one grain is supposed to be Jesus and his that idea of the seed dropping into the ground is like Christ as he dies and then his resurrection is like the harvest of seeds and I thought great love it when we can connect it to Jesus check and then there's that last word died and the footnote there was Along the lines of in Aramaic, it can be better understood as if it dies, it will bring forth a great rebirth. And that's when things, I found that the most interesting. And I really want to focus on that today this idea that death is connected to rebirth. And I would suggest that this rebirth can connect to reconciliation. There's this idea that there's a renewal of relationships, something new, something being reborn. And I think it's interesting, again, that death is connected to that. So what needs to die then if we want to get to that rebirth? This is all that I have for the slide. I just thought it was poetic and awesome that there was flowers and the word death written on there. So please enjoy that juxtaposition. I want to suggest that the thing that needs to die are those gross, yucky, defensive, and panicky feelings, our ego, that is what needs to die in order for us to engage in reconciliation and truth-telling. In order to engage in a th- authentic truth-telling, it means we have to put those gross feelings aside of I was wrong or I, I messed up to the side so that we can authentically engage in truth-telling. So this can sound easy Uh, it sounds kind of like a formula. So if you realize that you were wrong, okay, well then put to death that part of yourself and then you just apologize and then boom, reconciliation, carry on. And it's really, really not. And it's not that simple. It's not that quick or easy. And I think the idea of liminal space then becomes helpful as we're trying to wrap our heads around this weird process of death so that we can engage in a rebirth. So uh, liminal space, for those of you that don't know, I've got a couple of ideas to just uh, help visualize. Uh, Richard Rohr, the king of liminal space, uh, has this lovely quote. It says, liminal space is an inner state and sometimes an outer situation where we can begin to think and act in new ways. It is where we are betwixt and between, having left one room or stage of life, but not yet entered the next for my more visual learners. I've also heard liminal space as described like like an airport, you have left your home, but you're not yet at your destination. I know in therapy, what was a helpful image for me was this idea of, I was stepping on one stone and my foot was moving to step towards the next, but I had not stepped on that next rock yet. And, So the whole idea of liminal space is that it is scary and uncertain. The whole process of engaging in that grossness of uncertainty is that you are leaving certainty. Uh, You are leaving what you know and what you are comfortable with and you are leaving what was once true and moving towards something. The outcome is uncertain too. And in the context of truth and reconciliation, you don't know if the relationship will be reconciled. You don't know if other people watching you engage in this process, what they will think of it. Will there be other relationships broken or not quite the same as you engage in this liminal space? And so I think stories are a powerful way to describe a point. So I thought I would share my story of becoming affirming and how this was an example of a liminal space that I had to engage in for a couple of years. I wasn't joking when I said that it won't be quick or easy. Um, And where I had to really engage in this truth-telling mindset with my ego sometimes every day. And I had to realize that I was wrong and had to deal with those uncomfortable emotions. So um, before we get started, I did want to just define a few things because I might be using some new language for people around here. So um, LGBTQ+, it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, and plus. Essentially, this means uh, it encompasses all sexual and gender minorities. So people who are outside of a heterosexual relationship, one man, one woman, or uh, ideas about gender. So um, gender expression lining up with uh, sex organs. So for me, that aligns my sexual reproductive organs line up with my gender expression of being female. So it's people that exist outside of that and beyond. Now that's a lot of syllables to say. Um, And so another word that we can use is queer. And this is an umbrella term for all those sexual and gender minorities and this was originally a derogatory word, which is important to know. However, it has since been reclaimed by queer activists and scholars in the 1980s. And I know for me, it, is, it invokes this sense of beauty and from how I've seen it used by queer folks that I know um, used to describe themselves and create a sense of community. So that's what I'm talking about. Um, I'll be using that word throughout the talk, queer. In addition, I said this is my journey in becoming affirming. So what does that mean? Uh, Being affirming means that I affirm the legitimacy and full participation and celebration of queer folks within the church. Um, It means that I see queer folks as divine and created in the image of God. And I didn't include it in my definition, but I would say that God created them as queer. That's part of his image in them is their queerness, and it is good, and it is beautiful um this is not the same as love the sinner hate the sin or acceptance or welcoming um and just so to better under, uh, describe the point that i'm making because sometimes words are hard for me um this is from generous space ministries which is a queer christian organization totally would recommend looking into them but anyways they've got this quote it says to be affirming of LGBTQ plus people in the church means you support their full and equitable participation and equitable celebration of their relationships and family. Many people use the word inclusive to indicate support of LGBTQ plus people. It can be a little more fuzzy about what someone means and can also be perceived to have a bit of a patronizing tone. For example, people in power agree to include. Welcoming is a term that can leave people hanging. What do you mean that you welcome? Does it mean we can sit in the pews and give to the offering, but nothing else? Does it mean you recognize my relationships, marriage, family? Welcoming is a concrete place to begin, but it can also leave LGBTQ people feeling like there is a stained glass ceiling limiting their participation. And so um, that's a lot of definitions, but I felt like it was good to um, start there so that you guys know where I am coming from and where I've been. I'm trying to move something and it's not quite moving. All right. Um, So as I tell my story, I've just got this image here from Scott Erickson, uh, say yes, resurrection flowers, because the image of the coffin is useful in my story, my death, um, because it did not die overnight. And this casket imagery just helps me. So maybe it'll help you to have an image to meditate on. So, uh, in 2018, it was a year after I had graduated, and I was in Bible school, like the good Abbotsford Christian girl that I was. Nothing wrong with Bible school, but I was following the rules and the plan set before me. And I remember one day there was this session with one of our instructors, and he was describing I don't know what their original topic was but eventually he got to talking about his brother who was queer and he was talking about the implications of what that was like for his family how they had to have those conversations and kind of work around or navigate uh, his brother in this case and so i felt relatively unaffected by that however once one of my peers started sharing later her story of her brother who was queer and how horrible she felt that she could not accept her brother or love her brother as he was, something in me just started clicking, not quite, but something felt off. And at the time, I think I labeled it as Holy Spirit convicting me of something, of what we don't know. Um, but that was the language and the framework that I had. And little did I know at that moment, it was as like an empty casket or a coffin had been placed right in front of me and was just there. Um, And yeah, wasn't super aware of it. It just kind of was there and I went off and did my thing as Bible school students do. Coming back from that uh, more conservative-ish environment into my family environment, which at the time was more Pentecostal charismatic, not that it matters, but it was a bit of a shift. And my parents were going through the beginnings middle-ish I don't quite know um of their deconstruction of faith and so I kind of got roped into that too a little bit and I started going through all of these ideas that I previously thought were so so true ideas about sex about gender about purity relationships And more big picture things too, like sin and hell and who is God, what is the Bible, what is life, all those good things. Still answering some of those questions, by the way, this is not going to be me saying that I found the answers. But a lot of them started to be deconstructed. And a lot of these ideas where I realized I was wrong and I had to engage in a lot of uncomfortable feelings in relation to that. And some of those ideas started getting put into the casket. And slowly the casket started filling up. I was casket filling. And again, wasn't super aware that I was doing it. It was almost like, oh, that's an unhelpful idea. Chuck it behind me into the casket that's already starting to fill up. About a year later, June 2019, uh, which for those of you that don't know, that's right in Pride Month, Uh, My dad came up to the family. I'm already making it sound more dramatic than it was. It wasn't. But my dad comes up to the family and is like, you know, I think I would like to go to Pride Festival this month because I would like to be in that environment. I think it's important for me. You guys are welcome to join. And so I, I was kind of surprised by my reaction. I was like, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to experience that too. And so my mom, dad and I went out to Pride Festival out in Abbotsford and Jubilee Park. And it was beautiful. It was so good to be in that environment. However, what I was not expecting was for there to be some pretty defining moments. And so one of those defining moments was before we went, my mom uh, had this conversation with me just briefly um, saying, you know, just so you know, There might be some Christians protesting this festival. And on top of that, they might be people that you recognize. Thankfully, that did not happen. But that was such a defining moment for me. Like, oh, this is is what this means by me physically putting myself in this space. And another defining moment was realizing as I was walking around the park, looking at all these booths, there was only one church represented there, the United Church. And that was kind of like an oof moment to me too. In the celebration of love and celebration, there was only one church. And it was almost like in those moments, the coffin that I was previously open had a lid put over it and nails were being put in. It was starting to be shut. And... I just want to say now that the metaphor of the casket is about to fall out fall apart because all metaphors fall apart at some point um there were some defining moments i was still also at the same time going through this process of realizing i was wrong and putting things into the metaphorical casket so just so we're clear i'm aware that the metaphor is going to fall apart so as time passed from that point in june every other thing i did seemed to be those kind of defining moments. It was kneeling in the coffin. I made a semi-conscious decision to go to an affirming school at SSU. Some of my friends are actually watching right now, so shout out to them. Thanks. Um, and during that time, I was, as I was in that space, I started having relationships with queer friends. Suddenly, my friends I realized we're bi or we're trans or anything. Fill in the gap, uh, blank. And it brought on a whole nother wave of, oh, I was wrong. I thought relationship with someone like you was going to look like this. And oh my word, it is anything but that. And so that was a whole other jarring experience where I was having to put more things into that casket. Um, one last-ish moment um, was in March of 2020, uh, right before the pandemic. Um, there was this celebration of uh, queer, queer love, queer life uh, within the church at uh, the then Vineyard Church uh, out in New Brunswick. And so it was wonderful. It was the, the last party I went to before everything shut down and I'm so glad that it was that party Um, And there was a worship session, and one of the leaders uh, mentioned how they've changed some of the lyrics to become more inclusive, and that it might make us feel uncomfortable, and they encourage us to stay with that discomfort. And I thought, I'm I'm practically affirming, thank you very much, I'm not going to get uncomfortable, you don't know me. Sure enough, halfway through the session with these songs that I have heard for all of my life, some of the lyrics were being changed and I was starting to feel defensive. I was getting those gross and yucky feelings again. And I went, oh shoot, it was a different word. But for the sake of church, I was saying, oh shoot, this is not good. And so I had to sit with those really uncomfortable feelings of I was wrong. And I'm so glad I did that because later, when I had dealt with myself and I was hearing my friend who had been worshiping next to me the entire time start sharing about how they were so glad that they were hearing themselves in worship music. They were mentioning how for the first time I hear myself in worship music. That just about messes you up when you realize, oh man, if I hadn't engaged in that, I wouldn't have been able to believe you and so i was super glad that i was able to do that it's kind of awkward for me ending this story i could kind of end it around august september of 2020 where i kind of landed at that point the relationships that i had with people were (laughs) too close for comfort for me to not land and not be affirming and this just all goes to show though I am still in process. There are still those moments where I realize how wrong I was and I have to sit with some really difficult and uncomfortable feelings. And on top of that, when I started this journey two or so years ago, I had no idea that this is where I would land, but I'm here now. So <laughs> um, it's it's just so interesting that that's how it works. And I'm so glad that I spent the time uh, being with and sitting with those uncomfortable emotions. So Morgan, this doesn't line up nicely at all. It's not linear. It sounds way too complex. Is this an individual process? Is this a collective thing? You said you're still in process. Yes to all. Uh, Liminal space and engaging in truth telling and that grossness, it's not gonna be linear. Some days I felt like I was starting at square one over and over and over again. And sometimes there were different layers, it was complex. I thought it looked one way and it was like, oh, no, it's actually maybe a bit more like this. What I've described is a pretty individual experience about a collective them. I was the us versus the them. This can happen on an individual to individual context, collective to collective, the options are endless. And on top of that, like I mentioned, it's a process. I know that I am not completely done. I know that there have been some defining moments, so I feel like I can land out of that liminal space, but it it still is just a process. So you can tell that we're getting to the end of my slides because I couldn't think of how to title this, so why not Disney? Can you feel the love tonight? Because guess what? I'm gonna connect it back to love. The message, Uh, The verse 25 from the message says in the same way anyone who holds on to life just as it destroys that life, but if you let it go reckless in your love, you'll have it forever. Uh, There's another word here, but I can't see it real and eternal. And so this idea of reckless love, I see love as a really powerful motivator for us to show up and make mistakes as we are engaging in this truth telling process. It's not an excuse to go around making mistakes, but I think it encourages us to show up every time we do make mistakes and go, I'm gonna deal with myself and I'm gonna keep on showing up and learning. And I think this is particularly cool and important for us at The Bridge to be doing. Um, I think we are getting really good at loving people and loving people well. I want to acknowledge that we have got that foundation. I think, though, that there is room for this growth for us to expand our definition of love um, in terms of because I love you, I'm going to deal with some really uncomfortable emotions, and I'm going to learn where I was wrong so I can learn from you and we can move forward. So in a way, it's kind of like an extension or an addition to our repertoire on love. And I I really think that we we are growing in this way. So it's interesting how this verse and the connections I was making really line up with that. Um, So that's uh, my little talk. Um, I will copy paste. I've got a nice little uh, reference thing because I've been in school just a little too long. I'll copy paste that into the chat for those of you that are interested. But now I think we are going to Q&R with Eden, I think is joining me but I think you can switch to gallery view now and we can uh, start that process.
1: Thank you, Morgan. Wow. If you didn't have breakfast, it's probably a good thing because you are probably feeling pretty full right about now. Um, One of the first things I remember learning in school was to not write in the margin do you remember that? Grade one, you don't write in the margin. And I understood that that space uh, was for the teacher to write your, you know, her comments or point out mistakes or you know, give the grade. And I'm just thinking that if our lives are a piece of paper to write on, what we have learned from Morgan this morning is that it is really important to leave the space in the margin. Between the margins is where you write all your certainty in, but the margin where you leave it blank is where you discover and learn and grow. Thank you, Morgan. And I'm just gonna close in prayer and then we're gonna go into Q&R. So Jesus, Uh, Give us the grace to leave our margins free from all the things we think we know, so that we can grow and learn and leave space for input from you. Help us to be gracious and not just to ourselves, but to others who are in process. May our faith be childlike and bring us to sit at in your midst, and soak up all the things that you have to teach us. Amen.